Thank you for joining us today for a word from the Lord. Today is the second part in the teaching series, It's About Time. Here now is Archbishop Foley Beach. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning is the second in a series of sermons entitled, It's About Time. To talk about overstressed, overloaded, and maxed out lives. Jesus said in John 16, These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Following Jesus Christ brings peace into one's life, even amidst great difficulties and challenges which life or our circumstances may bring. And yet, when I observe many modern-day Christians' lives, including my own, I don't see that often lives that are saturated with peace. I see overwhelming stress. I see anxiety. I see financial pressure. I see maxed-out schedules. I see people who are tired and weary. Jesus said in John 10.10, I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. But sometimes I think this fullness we overdo. God has given us in our lives a certain amount of capacity for fullness, a maximum amount to make them full, a capacity of joy and life, and yet most of us are living lives above our capacity. We have no space no extra. As Richard Swenson calls it, no margin. That space between ourselves and our limits, that breathing room, that reserve for the unanticipated, that place for the surprises, that place between the abundant life, that full life, and deadly life. It's called margin. It's that place where often God will meet us. Because of the choices we make, however, because of the debts we take on, because of our lack of trust in God, because of the schedules we keep, and our, because of our desire to succumb to technology and all of its ramifications or to the cultural norms, our lives end up too much with too much, with too much, with too much. Whether that's too much debt, too much demand, And our lives end up in chaos, feeling overwhelmed all the time, totally exhausted on an emotional level, physically debilitating, and spiritually we end up wimps. (laughs) And when we live like this, we're not only wounding the cause of Jesus Christ, we're hurting ourselves. Now last week we looked at building up our emotional reserves, And if you weren't here, I want to encourage you to get the CD or go online and download it because it's important, very important that we keep our emotional life alive and vibrant. This week, I would like us to examine the use of our time, use of our time. One of my favorite scriptures on time is Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. It reads as follows, there's a time for everything. And a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to uproot. 
a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak, and a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Time, time, time. There's seasons of time, moments of time. Swinston writes, we talk of no time, lack of time, not enough time, or being out of time. Trying to get more time, we borrow time only to incur time debt and end up with even less. Time, time, time. Just a quick history of timekeeping. Uh, the Roman playwright Plautus in 200 BC was cursing the sundial. He wrote, the gods confound the man who first found out how to distinguish the hours. Confound him too who in this place set up a sundial to cut and hack my days so wretchedly into small portions. The first mechanical clocks came on the scene in the year, in the 1200s, and it was only a bell that would ring that would indicate the time. In the 1300s, they added a dial and the hour hand. In the 1600s, a minute and second hands were, com- were very common in society. In 1865, the wrist watch came on the scene and became popular. In 1879, Thomas Edison produced the first electric light bulb, allowing time to invade the night hours. And of course, today we all have our precision crystal watches and digital clocks. We have microseconds and nanoseconds. Supercomputers work at trillionths of a second. What in the world is that? (laughs) And now in this age of digital and microchip technology, all these devices and gadgets are supposed to save us time. But what are we finding out? That this progress is actually consuming more of our hours and more of our time, not less. Did you know that as you and I grow up, and begin to live an adult life, we have to learn almost 20,000 pieces of equipment. 20,000. Our personal computers and these technological advances, which were supposed to give us leisure time, in reality has taken up our time. Richard Swenson writes, true, we get places faster, but we have more places to go. We have devices to help us clean, but we have more things stuffed into more square footage to clean. He adds that the light bulb has given us more time at night, but what did we used to do before there was light at night? We'd sit around the table and talk. We'd sit by the fire and read. We'd talk to family and friends or visit until it was time to go to bed. One other note about our time, our work hours. You remember years ago when it used to be that all this technology was going to save us time at work? Well, Americans are no longer working longer and longer hours to keep up with technology and financial pressures we all face. That's not true. We're actually working more. 
The International Labor Study of 2001 shows that in 1967, Americans worked 1,716 hours a week. I'm sorry, a year, not a week. I'm glad somebody is paying attention. (laughs) So 1,716 hours a year. In 1989, the the year my son was born, Americans worked 1,783 hours a year. And in the year 2000, that had jumped to 1,978 hours a year. So all these demands on our time. And then we all have certain time needs. For example, we all need personal time. Time for ourselves, by ourselves, or with ourselves. Personal time. Robert Banks writes, Since the opportunity for inward attention hardly ever comes, many people have not heard from themselves for a long, long time. Those who are always on the run never meet anybody anymore, not even themselves. Robert Swinson writes, Those who say they don't need time for self are probably the ones who need it the most. We all need that personal time. Secondly, we all need family time. Time with our spouse. Time with your kids. Time with your parents or your grandkids. Peter Hammond writes, Making an appointment with your child is one way to relate to your child, but it's pretty desiccated. You've got to hang around with your kids. Now, I realize some people, that's all they can do, but kids spell love T-I-M-E. Some of us, that's all we can do, though. So when you do it, be present mentally and emotionally. James Dobson writes, The inevitable, inevitable loser from this life in the fast lane is the little guy who's leaning against the wall with his hands in the pocket of his blue jeans. Crowded lives produce fatigue, and fatigue produces irritability. And irritability produces indifference. And indifference can be interpreted by the child as a lack of genuine affection and personal esteem. Let me read the last part of that again. I think this is crowded lives produce fatigue. And fatigue produces irritability. And irritability produces indifference. And indifference can be interpreted by the child as a lack of genuine affection and personal esteem. We also need sharing time, time to give and receive in nurturing relationships. It's what the Bible calls fellowship. There's a Wall Street Journal article a couple of years ago entitled, Whatever Happened to Friendship? A New York executive in this article says he doesn't have time for friends anymore. He has a wife, a daughter, and a busy job. Quote, I'm already at 120%. There's really no room for anybody else. Rather than the exception, sadly, this has become the new normal played out in neighborhoods all over our nation. A fourth time need we all have is God time. Time to nurture and deepen your relationship with Jesus. Time to be still and know that he's God. Time to know his word and to talk to him in prayer. God time. That deepening relationship just doesn't automatically happen. It's like with any other relationship. It takes time. Now God made each day with 24 hours. Not 26, 
not 38. He made each week with 168 hours. Now, I know we want more time, but that's all he's given us. So how can we build margin back into our lives? How can we build back this holy space? With everything in our schedules and everything on our calendars, how can we put that extra back into our lives? Well, I'd like to give you some suggestions this morning. But as I give you these, I would like to remind you that less is more. (laughs) Pick one or two and then go for it. Don't try to do it all. So what are some things we can do? The first is a weekly Sabbath. A weekly Sabbath. A day for rest and worship. A day for renewal and recreation. A Sabbath. In Exodus chapter 20, the Lord gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And isn't it amazing how we always say we believe in the Ten Commandments and we think they're so important, but we don't practice them. Exodus 20 verse 8 says this, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter or your manservant or your maidservant nor your animals nor the alien within your gates. For the, in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. Now you can view this commandment as a duty. Or you can view it as a gift from God. Actually, Jesus indicated in Mark 2.27, he said this, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So practice a weekly Sabbath. A Sabbath can consist of worship and rest. A second thing we can do is build back into our lives a time alone with God each day. A time alone with God each day. In Mark chapter 1 verse 35, we find this. Very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place where he prayed. Now if Jesus needed to spend time in prayer, doesn't it make sense that we would as well? Now I know we've all got different circumstances, I'll never forget the story of Susanna Wesley with all those kids. I forget how many she had, 11 or 12 or so. How many did she have? 17. I knew it was a lot. 17 kids. So she'd go into the inner room. She'd, you know, those long dresses they'd wear. She'd pull it up over her head and block everything out and have her prayer time and her time alone with God. There's nothing like starting each day having his word, the Bible, feed your spirit. There's nothing like starting each day and praying over those things which concern you. There's nothing like starting each day with getting God's perspective and blessing on your day. To a daily time with the Lord. Now these first two are really spiritual principles. If you weave them into your life, you'll find that when you give, you're given. It's amazing, you know, Chick-fil-A practices this. 
you know, in their business. They are not open on Sunday. But do you know their studies in the malls and places where they, they are not there open on Sunday? They do more business than the other folks do in seven days. And it's amazing how if we will give God his time and his perspective, how he will bless the rest of it. A third thing we can do, expect the unexpected. Expect the unexpected. A proverb from Ecuador, everything takes longer than it does. Life happens. The tire goes flat. Your daughter catches a cold. The doctor makes you wait longer for your appointment. The boss wants you to attend an unscheduled meeting. Life happens. We all need some breathing room, so increase your margin of error. Expect that the unexpected is going to happen. Fourth thing. Ah, this is a tough one. Learn to say no. Learn to say no. Richard Swenson writes, saying no is just not a good idea. It's become a mathematical necessity. You can't do it all. Learn to say no, even in the church. I mean, we could have the, the doors open every night, and sometimes it seems like we do. And you can't do it all. Steve Jobs, when taking over Apple Computer the second time in 1998, he said this, focus does not mean saying yes, it means saying no. Anne Lamott, speaking to a group of graduates, said this, no is a complete sentence. (laughs) She goes on, believe me, we do not need hassled, bitter ministers. We don't want you to talk about this being the day the Lord hath made, and we should rejoice and savor its beauty and and poignancy when secretly you're tearing around like a rabbit. We need you to walk the talk. We need you to walk a little more slowly. Now, that's true for ministers, but it could be said for all of us. What if we only said yes to what God wants us to? Just ask him. He'll tell you. We talked about in Ecclesiastes, we started. Ecclesiastes talks about seasons, and there are seasons of life in which certain responsibilities demand more of our time and attention. For example, raising our children or caring for our parents or certain times or types of employment. And it's essential in these times that we learn to say no to the right things. We can't say yes to everything. A fifth thing. Use technology wisely. Sadly, most of us are being used by technology rather than us using technology. Just some examples of this. Turn off the TV. Try it. You'd be surprised how much time that saves. Limit your time on the computer. Maybe even set a timer if you have to. Or designate certain times. From from 8 to 8.30, I'll be on the computer. I mean, even, even if you did that, that's three and a half hours a week you're giving to the computer. Respond to emails and phone calls at specific times rather than allowing them to dictate how you respond and, and how you use your time. For example, if you have the little beeper on and every time an email comes in, it does a little beep or, or you get a, a phone call, I mean, all of a sudden you've got to go deal with it. But why not at, at the top of the hour? 
or at the top of certain hours, okay, I'm going to go check my email now. You're controlling your time, not allowing it to control you. Another thing that's very helpful is to try a media fast. Take a week, no TV, no internet, no radio, no newspaper. Just just try fast and see what will happen. Use technology wisely. Number six, prune your activity branches. <laughs> prune your activity branches. Imagine your life like a tree. Of course, John 15 alludes to this, although it's the, the parable of, uh, use the illustration of the vine. Jesus is the trunk bringing life and sustenance to your whole life. And the branches are all your activities and commitments, draining life and growing as they bear fruit. Gene Fleming writes, even without special care, activity branches multiply. Soon the provision of branches becomes more prominent than the trunk and the limbs. When this happens, I feel trapped, frustrated, and empty. Why? Because my life is shaped and drained by activities that have lost their pertinence to Christ. Prune your activity branches. A seventh thing. Prioritize your calendar. When I was a young youth minister, I went to hear a man by the name of Gordon McDonald speak. He at that time was the president of InterVarsity. And he talked about how he did his, his scheduling. And he taught me just a very simple thing, and it, it's amazing how it's helped me so much. He said, before you put anything else on your calendar, sit down with your family calendar and put on it times with your spouse, times with your kids, if your kids have ball games, those sorts of, and, and put them on your calendar. He said, then when people ask to meet with you, and you, you're both looking at your calendar, you see, well, you've got a meeting, you've got a commitment at that point. Well, they don't ask you what the commitment is, you just have a commitment. And you're able to schedule around it, and you're able to use your time as you need to use your time. That has helped me so much. So in your realm of life, Sit down with your calendar at least once a month, if not more, and look out ahead and put on your calendar ahead your your quiet days, your time alone with the Lord, those things that are important with you and your family, and then schedule your other activities around those. Rick Warren writes, for many people, the barrier to spiritual growth is not lack of commitment, but overcommitment to the wrong things. And lastly, Give thanks to God. Constantly give thanks to God for your time and for what's in your life. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17 says, Rejoice always, pray continually in everything, give thanks. Give thanks to God. Now I could go on with many others, but you get the picture. Remember, less is oftentimes more. So start with one or two of these. And get them going in your life, and then then move into the others. A man from Mali, West Africa, said this, You Americans have all the watches, but we have all the time. Last week, we looked at replenishing our emotional reserves. Today, we examined the use of our time and how to build holy space into our lives. Next week, we're going to examine building margin into our finances. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you shall have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. 
for I have overcome the world. Amen. That was Dr. Beach with today's message. For more information on this message and this ministry, please visit a word from the Lord. If you have any comments or questions about the program, you can contact Dr. Beach by email at foleybeach at awordfromthelord.org. Again, his email is foleybeach at awordfromthelord.org. You can contact us by mail. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 636, Monroe, Georgia, 30655. Our mailing address again is P.O. Box 636, Monroe, Georgia, 30655. Whether you send us an email or write to us, we'd love to hear from you. A word from the Lord is made possible by God's grace through the continued prayers and loving financial support from you. And we thank you for this opportunity to spread the hope of the gospel of Christ through this ministry. Join us again next time for the next broadcast of A Word from the Lord. For Dr. Beach and everyone here at A Word from the Lord, it is our prayer that you would be seeking a word from the Lord.